Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best Value Registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. We have to build trust. Even though the person struggling with the addiction, they may not be super trustworthy right now and they're being deceptive, but we want them to know we're safe and we want to build trust. You're listening to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about strengthening the relationships that mean the most to you. I'm Jill Savage, and I live in normal Illinois. I'm committed to talking honestly about the messy, less than perfect, but normal stuff of life. I'm so glad you've joined me. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the No More Perfect Podcast. So today... We're going to talk about life controlling issues. The truth is addictions are on the rise from food to prescription drugs to social media. Many people can't say no to the things that harm themselves or their loved ones. Our family has dealt with this. And I believe that we need to talk far more openly about it in Christian circles than what we do. And that's why today's conversation is important. My guest is Dr. Gregory Jantz, and he's the founder of The Center, a place of hope in Edmonds, Washington. He's a world-renowned expert on depression, anxiety, eating disorders, addiction, and abuse. But most importantly, Dr. Jantz believes there is hope because God is much bigger than any addiction. Welcome to the No More Perfect podcast, Dr. Jantz. Oh, and such a perfect perfect topic as well. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate you taking the time. I know you are very busy, but I think this conversation is important. And I guess let's start with the why. Why do you believe that addiction is on the rise? Well, we've come through this season that we're calling a pandemic. The last two years have been pretty interesting. We've had a lot of, you know, work from home, which really didn't work out that well. We had a school that was virtual that didn't work out that well. We had the highest academic failure ever. Imagine Mm. that. And uh, so we've got high anxiety. We have folks that have really felt um, this anxiety and it's led some kind of to the edge of despair. I've, I've had enough. I can't take it any longer. And with anxiety, we always look for a way to cope. After a while, you know, a feeling that way. Well, let's see. There's alcohol, there's food, there's escapism behaviors. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, we tend to choose those that are destructive. Now, that leads us right up. Uh, addiction is growing. Uh, we have more, um, uh, the highest alcohol cells on record. How about that? Uh, mm. In one week's time, we even sold a billion dollars worth of beer. I don't know how you sell a billion dollars of beer, but we're 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 making sales records 
with alcohol sales. Wow. And it started when everybody was working from home. And here's a little something that we observed. Uh, we've had clients who say, you know, I started drinking around four o'clock, you know, and then after a period of time, I started drinking, uh, started about one o'clock. And mm. they tell themselves, you know, I'm just going to do this while I'm working from home. Well, but it continues beyond that. And mm-hmm. so we really do have a real increase. We have an increase in uh, uh, pornography, sexual addiction. Uh, we have increase in misuse of prescription drugs. Mm. Uh, we've had a period of time where there has been so many uh, prescriptions, scripts written for anxiety, uh, anti-anxiety medications, that we actually had a little bit of a supply change, uh, a supply uh, shortage, my goodness, mm. with medication. Wow. So uh, people are anxious and people are addicted. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they're using it to cope. Bottom line is is what they're using it for. Um, coping. And we we're looking for a way. Well, I, I call it mood elevate. I, I've got to feel differently. I'm tired of this. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that addiction has a very predictable cycle. Um, And we can play games with addiction in our lives. We can say, well, I'll just do this through the pandemic and then I'll stop. Or uh, we become more secret. Mm -hmm. Uh, You see, most addiction, there's secrecy. I try to hide how much I'm drinking. I try to hide really what I'm doing from others. And so then when we begin to have secrecy, we begin to have deception. We begin mm-hmm. to have uh, where I'm lying, mm-hmm. you know, you lie about money you spent or how much you drank or what you took. And so then addiction lives in secrecy and shame. Mm. So we really are seeing more of this among both men and women. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, another kind of frightening piece of addiction right now is we're seeing addiction start at younger ages. Mm, so wow. um, we're seeing kids that 12 to 17 year old range is certainly one that we're very concerned about. Uh, mm-hmm. That age range is um, uh, the use of social media, the, uh, the um, early experimentation with drugs that's dropping to younger ages. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know the the families that uh, my husband and I minister to um, many that are listening, I'm sure uh, that are parents. Uh, we know that the anxiety is raising for teenagers. I mean, we have probably the most uh, the highest anxiety of a, of a generation of teens that has ever happened. And uh, and so then they turn to something to stop that anxiety. One of the things that comes to my mind as you just were talking about that, you said you used the word just as you were talking about um, the, um, you know, the person that says, well, I'll just have a drink at one, you know, at at three o'clock and then or I'll just oh, I'll just have one at one o'clock only while the pandemic's going on. That word just really plays a role in addiction, doesn't it? Yes, just and and maybe the word but it's like but I'll stop you know soon. So another word for that could be denial, and that's why I say we play games with what we're doing. Um, now, 
nobody starts off. I don't, if we're using alcohol as an example, it's like, I don't start off to try to be an addict or I, it's never, I never had the goal of being an alcoholic. Right. But over time, if I keep using this, that's what happens. So addiction is a predictable course um, that happens. And what happens is the substance or the chemical, whatever it is, ends up being more important than people, than relationships. It's like I know that I should be with, let's say, um, family, or but but you're sneaking alcohol. So the substance or the addiction takes mm-hmm. priority over everything, ultimately. Yes, yes. And, you know, one of the things that you say is that living with an addict means trust is next to impossible because you'll always be second place in their lives. And that's kind of what you're talking about there, right? Yeah. It, it will be second place. And, and what happens is that addiction gets so strong. You know, and I haven't mentioned it yet, but there is a pain pill addiction. There's opiates uh, that are still a major problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, these addictions can be so strong. Um, and the drive, the drive to get that substance uh, is is beyond imaginable. And that's what it does to you. Yeah. So there's two parts of addiction. There's what's happening in your head and what's happening in your body. Would that be correct? Yeah. yeah. And and there is a physical craving for in most mm-hmm. addictions. Mm-hmm. So the, another way of saying that is there's a physiological craving. My brain is craving it um, because your chemistries are off and, and the craving can be intense. Mm-hmm. And then it's meeting. There's some emotional needs. It's a way, uh, you know, it's a way of avoiding perhaps issues. It's a way of withdrawing from others. Mm-hmm. Um, so it an addiction will always take you farther down a road you never, ever really want to go down. Right. Right. Yeah. And um, one of the things you also say is those who are addicted are crazy makers and their friends are often like them. Okay. Talk (laughs) about that for a moment, because I'll tell you what, when I read that and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, that is what we have found with our son who has struggled with addiction issues is that friendship piece uh, sometimes has been because usually he makes friends with other addicted people. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. Yes. Addiction distorts reality. Uh, an addiction will also, you'll call a person your friend. It's really not a friend. They may be a co-addict, yes. Um, yes. but no, they're my friend. Well, you're using together. Um, so addiction distorts reality. And mm-hmm. that crazy making is um, an addict can be very good at manipulating they can mm-hmm. manip- manipulate people, situations, manipulate to get money. Um, they're highly skilled at manipulation. And that's a part of the crazy making. Uh, an addict can even make you feel like you owe them 20, bu- 20 bucks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they, they can distort everything and go, oh, yeah, you're right. I owe you the money. Uh, so they, reality gets manipulated. Hmm. Yes, we have definitely seen that. All right. So we have identified that this is a challenge. Let's take a diversion and first talk about what if we are the person 
that is struggling with the addiction? What if we're the person that is finding that this is controlling our life? We maybe we've not admitted it to anyone, but maybe deep down inside we know, or maybe we're still in that denial stage. Um, what are some, uh, you know, from the person that's listening that needs to pay attention or look at this, what are some of the, maybe the telltale signs that they, that, that maybe they need to look at this more intently? And then what might be some next steps that they could take to begin to walk in a different direction? Sure. Great question. And sometimes if we're struggling, we've got to have that really honest conversation with ourselves. Now, the the addiction in you doesn't want to do that, but maybe it's a matter, I'm going to look in the mirror and go, all right, I know there's an issue and I know what I'm doing is not okay. I mean, you, you really will know that, but what we try to manipulate things so we can keep doing it. And if I continue to do this, um, where will I be in a year? Mm-hmm. Um, what will I what will I look like? Yeah. And what will I feel like? What will my relationships be like? Because addiction does come to kill and destroy. And yes. Addiction will destroy relationships. It'll destroy health. And it, you need to ask yourself, is this really the road I want to go down? Mm-hmm. And the addiction part of that will say, oh, no, you know, you can stop any time and it's no big deal. You're not going to keep doing this. <laughs> we rationalize to keep doing it. Um, so you've got to have that conversation with yourself. And then I have to be willing to do the next step. OK, what does getting help look like? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm not even maybe I'm not even sure I want to give all this up. That's OK. Maybe it's a matter of going to somebody who really is knowledgeable, who really could uh, begin to offer some help, but be willing to start to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is, you know, some some folks don't immediately run right to treatment. Maybe they need to go and talk to a, a counselor that is really knowledgeable in this area and begin to have the conversation. Okay. Um, just have honest conversation and begin to put yourself in a place where you can make a decision. Um, and there's times where things get so out of control where we do uh, need to intervene. I think sometimes an intervention is about saving a life. So there's mm-hmm. a place for that. And if I am having that conversation myself and I keep using, where am I going to be in a year? How much money am I spending now? How am I going to be functioning? Uh, am I even going to be able to keep a job? Do I have a job? You know, where is this taking you? Right, right. Yeah. And so um, so what you're saying is you don't have to go necessarily right into treatment. You might begin to just explore what's going on inside of you. And you can do that in a safe place with a counselor, preferably a Christian counselor. Yes. Um, that can help you to understand really the maybe the soul holes, the the holes in your soul that you are using this to to deal with in some way. Absolutely. Um, we're just looking to take some initial steps um, mm-hmm. and begin to explore and have an honest conversation. Tell somebody really how much are you really drinking? 
you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, don't tell them it's two beers if you're really having the six pack. <laughs> Have mm-hmm. a truthful conversation with somebody. Get some feedback. Maybe you feel like nah, I'm not really ready to change, but you need to begin to get some information. And sometimes just in the right help, because this is not about shaming you. This is mm-hmm. not about beating anybody up. Look, addiction can happen to anybody. There is something called accidental addiction. The person mm-hmm. who got pres- prescribed a painkiller and suddenly finds themselves addicted. And you go, mm-hmm. what happened to me? I, I didn't purposely go about this route. And then from pain, kills, pain pills, maybe you can't get them, so you switch to alcohol or you switch to other things. So the path into addiction can be different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, and addiction is a slippery slope. So yeah. if we can even identify when something is almost becoming an idol to us in, in, and we're just at the top of that slope, if we can do that, sometimes it just making those adjustments is not as big of a deal as if we let it go longer and longer and longer. Would that be correct? <laughs> that would be correct. Good point. Yes. Yeah. So don't be afraid. But, you know, the thing I think of is so often many of us are afraid of honesty. Maybe in the past, being honest was uh, even in our childhood, honesty wasn't safe. So the Mm -hmm. thought of getting honest with somebody and telling them really how much I'm drinking or really how much I'm uh, taking this drug Uh, or how much time I'm spending on pornography or how much time I'm spending on social media uh, to really it. That's scary because honesty hasn't been safe. So what would you say to that person? Well, we do need to be selective about who we're going to tell everything or tell the truth. And honesty at times may feel like it's backfired. Not everybody understands addiction. And so don't, it's hard to say, but um, don't expect everybody to uh, get it all. Um, Mm -hmm. But there are those that really do, and they're the ones that can help you. But I think we need to be selective. Um, Mm -hmm. I know it's hard, but sometimes family may not be the best or the first people to go to. You may say to a family member, okay, man, I got a problem. But hopefully the family member can help get you over to where you can get some, some help. Um, mm-hmm. Don't expect family to have all the answers, and um, mm-hmm. and sometimes we we're pretty good at manipulating the family as well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Okay, so let's talk about the other side of this. We see a family member that is on that slippery slope, and we are concerned, and yeah. we're trying to figure out what to do, and maybe it's. You know, you talk that sometimes it is life-saving, that there mm-hmm. is a place for us to um, insert ourselves and and to have some sort of a conversation. But what would you say uh, for someone who is concerned about someone in their life? What are some initial steps they can take to addressing this? Well, for me, initial step would certainly be prayer. And there's a prayer, really, I'm praying for wisdom on how how to say, how to communicate. And then I'm praying also for their receptivity. A person who's struggling with an addiction um, is probably hypersensitive. You know, they're going to be react- reactive, defensive, angry. 
So mm-hmm. um, I always want them to know, you know, and use the approach. I love and care about you so much. Um, I want to share some observations, concerns. Is that all right? I'm always going to ask initially for permission to share. Sometimes we, we react and we're angry and we end up saying things and it backfires. So yes, I, I, I use initially what I call kind of a soft intervention. I, for, I really do. If it's a loved one, I want them to know I really do love and care about you greatly. And I, I'd like to share some things with you. Is that okay? Because mm-hmm. um, that's the place I want to share it from. Mm-hmm. And, and share what it is. I, I'm concerned about some things that I'm seeing. And and it seems like to me um, you're really struggling. Uh, can you tell me more about what's going on? Mm-hmm. So now you notice I didn't start off by saying you're you're drinking too much. You're and you're and you know um, I don't want them. I'm not about condemning them, and I'm not about just saying what they're doing is wrong. I really do want to have some understanding and some empathy to understand what is going on for you and and be sincere about that. So what you're really saying is that you need to bring a safe person to the conversation, you being yeah. safe. Yeah. Make ourselves safe. And you know, it's, we don't always know what to say. Uh, it's difficult. That's why we pray for wisdom for our words and and that they'll be receptive. It may be the beginning of future conversations. Now, mm-hmm. there's times where things are pretty serious and we have to move pretty quickly. There's times where things have been going on this way for a while and you're working on building or rebuilding a relationship. So we have to build trust. Even though the person struggling with the addiction they may not be super trustworthy right now. Okay? Yes, sure. And they're being deceptive, but we want them to know we're we're safe and we want to build trust. And, you know, you don't want to do surprises on a, a person struggling. Now, there's a place for an intervention, and that's a whole different mm-hmm. process. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we don't want to bring up past hurts and bring up all, you know, we're no one, we never want them to feel attacked. Right, right. Yeah. So one of the things that happens, I know, you know, what we have discovered as we have walked this out with our son, who at times was homeless, who was using different substances, is what does help look like and what does enabling look like? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. What's help look like? Well, um, there is, you know, we all hear the term tough love. There's certainly tough love in there. But um, I was talking to a mom and she said, I know, I know I shouldn't have done it. She says, I gave my son $20. Mm-hmm. And she, she says, but I love him so much. There's that but again. But I love him so much. Well, but she knew. She said, I, I know I shouldn't have done it. She was wanting to make sure he was getting food. She gave him money. She knew what he was going to do with it. And we say, well, I love you so much. Well, tough love may look differently. Tough love may say, I love you so much. I cannot give you money. I can help make sure you have some food, but I cannot give you money. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, just, that's just an appropriate boundary. Mm-hmm. Yes. There are those yep. that have given people money and, you know, they've had, had an overdose. So we need to remember some of this can be life and death. 
Yes. Yes. Well, I can remember um, my husband and I getting to a place where we had to ask ourselves, is our help helping? Hmm. And when it wasn't, when we realized he's at the same place that he was six months ago. And, and so what we have been offering, whether it was housing or whatever it was, this isn't helping. And at that point we realized, okay, then it's enabling and Mm -hmm. and we need to make some changes. Um, So talk about boundaries a little bit more. You just talked about one boundary there. And I think this is the hardest part. Because especially when it's someone that we love and, and let's talk for a moment, let's talk for a moment about marriage and, and, and when you've got addiction in the marriage, what are we talking about with boundaries? What might that look like? You know, addiction with marriage, boy, talk about challenging is an understatement. Uh, Addiction robs us of intimacy, of emotional closeness because a person becomes more, and we could use food as an addiction. Maybe a person's a food addict and sure. they're, they're choosing uh, food and maybe binging over over the relationship. That's an intimacy robber, let's say. Mm-hmm. So we need to remember that. We also need to remember that we're talking a lot of times to that addiction part or that addict part of a person and it may not be the real person that you've known for mm. or didn't know until things change yes. keep in mind there's somebody inside who you love and sometimes you're really fighting with or in feel in battle with uh, it's the addict so yes but we also need to have a boundaries that you know this cannot go on. And there's a time and place where you may say, you know what, I need you to get help. And um, sometimes things get pretty rough and, uh, you know, a, a physical separation long enough for a person to get help uh, at times could be appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have certainly seen that in our marriage coaching, um, that there are times where needing to draw a line, it's for the purpose of healing. It's yeah. It's for the purpose of recognizing that this needs to be addressed, but it's so that mm-hmm. we can continue to stay together. Yes. Well said. But that is um, very, very scary and uh, certainly understand that. So one of the things that you say is that there are five steps to help somebody avoid a relapse. So let's say that somebody has gotten help. Relapses do happen in the addiction journey sometimes. What are some specific things that can be done to not uh, or to help avoid a relapse? Yeah, and relapses really are learning opportunities or or learning episodes. Because okay. if I relapse, it usually means I needed to put attention onto something. Or what was it I was avoiding? Um, is a good question to ask. A relapse, maybe I've let anger build up. So. As you look at relapse, our goal is, yeah, okay, I relapsed, but I want to get right back moving forward. And what is it I needed to learn? What is it I learned? Resolve. So relapse and resolve, okay? Resolve Mm -hmm. what needs to be resolved. And one of the things is emotionally, how am I doing? Am I allowing resentments to build up? Am I Mm -hmm. allowing anger to take a stronghold in my life? Uh, have I let too much fear? Am I, am I living in anxiety? So I'm looking for some relief for anxiety. 
do I need to look at, is there forgiveness, somebody I need to talk to about forgiveness? So we, we look at anger, fear, and guilt. Okay. Uh, it, maybe I have some false shame mm. or guilt. Yeah. Uh, I need to correct something. So we might say those are potentially the three deadly emotions, anger, fear, and guilt. Mm, Yeah. So it really, a big part of, as you navigate and maybe a relapse, a big part of that though, is self-awareness is what you're saying is really tuning into what's going on inside of me and what can I learn from this? Right. Right. I love that. Oh, this has been a good conversation. I have one more question for you. Here's here's what I'm thinking about is the person that's listening and they either feel they feel helpless or they feel hopeless that they themselves can change or that someone that they love can change. So what would you say to that person that's feeling that way? Well, I believe that sense of helplessness and hopelessness is very real. And, and you will you will feel that and you will wonder, will things ever change? And those would be normal things to wonder. But make sure that help is person's getting help and you get help yourself to what it means to take care of you and get, keep your thinking going in a, in a good direction. So as long as a person is still working the process, so to speak, uh, there is hope. And hope mm-hmm. comes when there's a plan. So make sure there's a plan for you and length the person who's struggling. Make sure, you know, you can't control them, but that there's a plan and they're working it. Don't expect them to be perfect. It's going to be a bumpy ride for a while, but mm-hmm. there's hope. Mm-hmm. And even if they're unwilling to work a plan or they're unwilling to put a plan in place, their story isn't finished yet. And with Jesus, there is always hope, right? Yes. Yeah. And so sometimes I think that that hopelessness and that helplessness happens when we shine the spotlight on the problem and not on the one who can do something about the problem. And uh, we move, you know, we, so we got to move that spotlight from the mountain to the mountain mover. And and Mm -hmm. I think that that begins to breed hope and it certainly gives us help for sure. So I know that you offer a ton of resources uh, for those that are navigating addiction. So can you tell us what resources you offer and where people can find those? Sure. Lots of great resources. I've written several books on this topic of addiction. And I have to tell you, Personally, I do believe there's hope, and I see it in so many lives of those that have come through the various uh, offerings that we have here. A lot of great resources and even some questionnaires that you could uh, utilize at aplaceofhope.com, aplaceofhope.com. A very appropriate website address. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hey, would you be willing to just close us in prayer and pray for Absolutely. those that are listening? Lord, there are those who uh, maybe are listening and who have a secret uh, struggle, and and it's Mm. an addiction struggle. Lord, we pray truth into their life. We also pray uh, protection, and that Mm -hmm. this could be the beginning of taking some next steps. And uh, Lord, I also know there's those who um, have a loved one who are greatly struggling, and that struggle is uh, at times just a wave that just seems like... Uh, of, of no hope and it just feels like it overwhelms us 
Yeah. And so we ask uh, that the hope of the Holy Spirit would be a part of these situations. And mm-hmm. we thank you that um, through you and because of you, there's hope and people can and do change. So thank you, Lord. In mm-hmm. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over on jillsavage.org slash podcast. I hang out on Facebook and Instagram and would love to connect with you there. You can find me under the name jillsavage.author. One more thing, we have three free ebooks that we'd love to give you. You can find them at jillsavage.org slash free. See you next week where we'll have another conversation about the real stuff of life and relationships.